We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode 11 of Lion Legacy. And Ross, some unfortunate news this week. This is actually our last episode of Lion Legacy. We are going into retirement, my friend. Jared, it's been a good ride. Yeah, I think it was just time, right? We we interviewed some people and it is what it is. Move on to something else. Yeah, I agree. April Fool's. We're just kidding. We're not ending it. It's April Fool's Day. We had to do something moderately funny. I don't know if that was funny, but we got a kick out of it. It, it was an attempt. And yeah. if someone's listening on April 2nd, oh, well, then yeah. they should listen on April 1st, right? Yeah. The day yeah. the podcast comes out, people should be listening. That's right. And for clarity, we are not going anywhere. It was just a joke. We have many, many, many guests lined up and a lot of lot more work to do here on the Lion Legacy podcast. Exactly. Before we get into our next guest, I do want to give a shout out to one of our listeners, actually a professor at Penn State, Dr. Frank Ritter in the College of IST. And he told me that Last year around this time, he brought together some undergrads, grad students, and other faculty members across numerous Penn State colleges to create a tutor to help prevent the pandemic spread. And I thought this was really interesting that he was willing to do this work. I had a chance to speak with one of the student researchers, Lex Fenstermacher, who graduated in the spring and is actually now a nurse at UPMC in Pittsburgh. Just imagine, right? You graduate and you become a nurse and they throw you right into to the pandemic. But they've done some excellent work and it just shows the power of Penn Staters, faculty, students, all coming together. And I certainly would encourage people to check out this tutorial, stopthespread.health. That's stopthespread.health. Some really great information. I know obviously we're moving towards hopefully more people being vaccinated, but certainly a really good research for everyone. So, Jared, besides your family and your friends and seeing me in person, what else do you most miss? That One thing you haven't been able to do during this pandemic of the last year. Well, that's an easy one for me because I always love to travel and get on planes and explore uh, new places. I have one continent left. I have many countries left, but I have one continent actually left that I have not been to. And that's no surprise, Antarctica. So it's on the list. It's on the bucket list. And I will get there one day. Well, I knew that was going to be your answer. And that question was intentional because this week's guest, the gentleman named Neil Goldman, who is the founder and CEO of Hotels for Hope. I'm not going to get into what Hotels for Hope is because Neil's going to tell us about it soon enough. But just a few of the takeaways that we learned in speaking with Neil is he found a gap in the customer experience as far as hotel booking and event planning went and then created a business to solve it. So he's going to tell us about that. He came up with a phrase, or I don't know if he came up with it, but he uses a phrase called conscientious capitalism. He's going to tell us what that means and what it means to him. And uh, lastly, I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, but he's going to tell us about when to let go of your business from an entrepreneurial perspective and sell your company. 
So a few key takeaways there. Without further ado, we'll hope you enjoy the episode with Neil Goldman. Thanks for checking in and enjoy your stay. All right. Let's welcome Neil Goldman, 2005 Penn State graduate, hotel, restaurant, and institutional management with a business minor and founder of Hotels for Hope. Before we get into Hotels for Hope, I'm actually going to list all the accolades. Hotels for Hope has been recognized by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. Entrepreneur Magazine named Hotels for Hope a top 30 startups to watch. And how about this one? Recognized by the United Nations with the Impact Showcase Award for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Of course, he also caught the attention of Penn State, taking home the College of Health and Human Development Emerging Professional Award in 2014, and then in 2018, the Alumni Achievement Award. And now he gets to be on Lion Legacy. Welcome, Neil. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. So before we get started, we're actually connected to a a mutual friend, and I want to give a shout out to Mandy Patterson. Mandy actually worked for Livestrong for many years, and I was actually on the side of Lance Armstrong's cycling team. So I know you've done some work with Livestrong. Our paths never crossed in Austin. I was down there um, up until the beginning of 2008. I believe you started your business in 2008. So I think the truth is that everyone always knows a Penn Stater somehow or some way. So let's get into it. I've obviously listed off all of these accolades, but give us a bit of an idea what Hotels for Hope actually is. Now I'll let you keep on going. You describe it better, Maeve. All right. Happy to tell you a little bit more. We broker and manage hotel inventory for large consumer events. So, you know, a lot of blue chip brands, tentpole events that you've heard of. We do everything globally for Formula One, college football playoff, pretty much all the major music festivals like Lollapalooza, Austin City Limits, Life is Beautiful, et cetera. So we give all these organizing bodies white label hotel te- technology that allows them to sell and transact a hotel room under their own brand, acquiring the data behind it and enhancing the consumer or, or the customer journey. You know, that's what we've created here is this technology stack. We connect to 600,000 plus global hotels, 40 different distribution channels, and we run business operations for the clients that we represent. Excellent. And Neil, one thing that we like to do here on Lion Legacy is we like to go back to the beginning of the story. So earlier in your career, you spent some time working for the Four Seasons and you worked for Marriott. And so then given your time, all boots on the ground, working for some of these larger hotel chains, how'd you come up with the idea for Hotels for Hope? Oh, gosh. I was living in San Diego and admittedly, I was trying to get out of the industry. And so I figured the pivot that every common person needed to do was to go get their MBA. The uncommon thing is trying to study for an MBA on the beaches of San Diego is next to impossible. So let's just say I didn't do that well on the test and walked out of it and decided I needed to think of something else and why not try to become an entrepreneur. And so I had some buddies, Penn Staters actually, who were living in Austin and they said, this is a great place and started putting my entrepreneur hat on and came up with a business plan and moved out there six months later. So it's one thing to have an idea, but to actually 
act upon that idea and launch it as a whole different ballgame. Tell us about your early conversations with some of the hotel properties and then trying to get your clients, such as these sporting events, music festivals, on board with that idea. Yeah, sure. So when I originally started the company, it was actually called Austin Hospitality. And the idea was to actually go to all the hotels in Austin and create this ecosystem where whenever the hotels didn't have a, a rooms to accommodate a group, instead of just hanging up the phone with them, they could refer them over to me. I qualified them. I found them another hotel, a referral network. And so those initial conversations were had in San Diego. And once I got on the ground in Austin, you know, trying to just get a lay of the land of how often is this happening? What type of room nights am I looking at, et cetera? Yeah, it seemed to work. It, we did a lot of wedding blocks. And you know, if you think about that, Austin's one of the, the best wedding destinations in the U.S. And every weekend there's a wedding. So I ended up, I think it was the second or the third year, we booked 1,500 different wedding blocks. Wow. And, and that kind of started the engine. That started cash flow right there and that allowed me to move away from some of the peanut butter and jelly I was eating. And then it just kept on hustling, right? Like when you're early stage as an entrepreneur, you just put your head down and you grind and you talk to as many people as possible and you chase down rabbit holes and you try to find the right opportunities. I got my first big enterprise opportunity. They were building a... Um, purpose-built track in Austin, Circuit of the Americas. You might've heard of it, right? F1 has raced there ever since it opened in 2012 and got in touch with them. Got in touch with them from a, a hotelier I knew really well and offered up my technology and they actually bit and, and they signed a deal with us for us to manage Formula One and all the other races. Uh, a couple of days later, I got an email from someone over at C3 Presents. And if you know them, they put on Lollapalooza, Austin City Limits, and kind of said, who are you guys? Went in, met with them, and then they bit and gave us a chance. And I, I can really attribute a lot of my success to those two enterprise opportunities with Circuit of the Americas and C3 Presents. So talk a little bit about this journey, right, from a customer who purchases tickets on aclmusicfestival.com. They then have to think about flights and hotels. So where exactly do you come in to the picture? Yeah, great question. You find, now it depends on every event, but it's generally 35 to 50% of incoming attendees travel from outside a hundred mile radius, which would dictate they need hotel accommodations. So the goal is to try to insert yourself along that customer journey as many places as you can to remind them and to be able to give our B2B partner, you know, the event organizer, the right incentives to be able to do it. It's obvious. All right, I got my ticket. Now I need to figure out my travel. At first, and even still to this day, people don't really know our brand. We're not as relevant as Expedia or booking or anything like that. That's by trait. And so what was a better option for us was to white label everything that we did and have it look, act, and feel like it is the client that we're representing. So it, customer trusts their ticket purchase from ACL Festival, they should trust their hotel purchase as well. And then it's pretty seamless in terms of taking that next step, I assume, since they're already on the website to then show them the, the hotel. 
Yeah, we as I, I mentioned a little earlier, we pull 600,000 plus global hotels. We're pulling real-time images of the hotel, TripAdvisor reviews, all the different rates that they're out there publishing everywhere. It's a seamless booking experience for them. So yeah, it, it becomes really relevant. And that's really on the fan side of it. In addition for all these organizing bodies, we do the back of house side, right? Your staff needs rooms, your artists, your teams, your suppliers, your sponsors. So they get their own booking environments as well. Fantastic. Neil, I'm curious. So when you started, as far as the technology goes, I imagine in my head that it looked a lot different at the beginning than, you know, how it would evolve over time. Were there a couple of things along the way that were like aha moments that helped that technology evolve to where it is now? Yeah, sure. Every business kind of has their own niche. So ours is in this consumer event space. And we've got to know it really well. So any of the progress you've seen from our technology is truly ref a reflection of kind of those interactions that we had. The biggest thing that I would say we learned was the transaction and the handshake that happens between us providing someone a hotel room is literally only like a small portion of that. Everything else you can do around the transaction is what makes it meaningful. And I mean that by how do you utilize the data and the marketing and the media assets that you have to be able to enhance the overall experience, right? People are going to these killer events, right? When you're going to an F1 race or you're going to a music festival or a championship game with college football playoff, you're excited from the moment you bought your ticket. And we need to keep that momentum going through the booking experience before your arrival, while you're on site, and then even afterwards as well. So I'd say our decoupling of just initially focusing on just the transaction was what really helped us grow. Now, as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you've gone through some difficult times, bumps in the road. Can you share some of those moments? Yeah, it's a shame this is a podcast. People would see I don't have any hair anymore. I lost that along this year. As an entrepreneur, your emotions, it is a roller coaster every single day, right? You wake up in the morning thinking you're on top of the world and you're going to retire on some island. And then by mid-afternoon, you're beat up because a customer rejected you and then it starts all over again. So you learn to deal with those cycles. I got sued. That was a, a really big point in my life to, to get sued and to try to have to think through that and understand the legalities of your contracts and what it means for your staff and your employees. And uh, ironically, after getting sued, we became, I would say, exponentially stronger as a business. Now, I want to make sure that we also talk about the great work you're doing to, to drive an impact, which we haven't touched on before. Obviously, great technology, you got travel, you've got some amazing events, but in the end, you're helping children. And I've read a word that you've used called conscious capitalism. Would love to know what that means to you. Yeah, I love conscious capitalism. All right, so normal business, normally for you know, however long, the thought was business's role is to drive shareholder value. A business operates to produce revenue for its shareholders. And in reality, there's nothing wrong with that at all. The difference between capitalism and conscious capitalism is there's really a belief in a first layer that is you first have to provide value to the stakeholders before you can provide value to the shareholders. It's also this belief that right now with all this rhetoric and everything going on, we're in this world where like there, it's a win-lose situation, right? My team wins, you lose. 
I make profit. I don't care about anything else. And conscious capitalism really tries to erode that away to be able to say there is a proverbial win-win. There is an ability to operate with a purpose and produce profits at the same time. And so when you think about that, our job as a business here is to provide value first and foremost to our stakeholders. That is, we have to provide a good product to our customer. I have to provide a good working environment where my staff is comfortable and work hard. I have to be fair and equitable with my vendors so that they sign good contracts with us. I have to be a good steward of the community. And then of course, I also have to be a good steward of our shareholders. And so when you start looking at business from a stakeholder perspective, that's when you truly try to unlock this theory about conscious capitalism. One of the things that Neil, as you were talking, that made me think about the business roundtable, which I believe is like 180-ish CEOs from around the country. And one of the, the cornerstones of their efforts going back in years and years was that their business is for the benefit of the shareholders. But they've actually turned their tune, I think in the last two years or so, to relay the same message that you're saying here is that businesses should be thinking about all stakeholders. And that's like you said, it's their employees, their community, ethics, morals. Like it goes beyond just let's make money. We're here to make money. Yes, of course, but we need to be good citizens and Samaritans along the way. So I, I think you're, you may be ahead of your time there with your efforts that, that you started up with Hotels for Hope some 10 years ago. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, you're spot on. When you peel back the skin of an onion, uh, of a business, everyone inside of it is a human like the three of us. They all want their basic needs met. They all want to enjoy and have like meaningful interactions with their colleagues, their friends, their family, et cetera. And so when you think about that, we put so much time and effort into business in our lives that business has a function to help support some of that. Because when you do support that, for your internal stakeholders like your employees or your external stakeholders like your customers, then they appreciate it and they reciprocate. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we take this a step further, Neil. Hotels for Hope has raised certainly a meaningful amount of money for various children's programs. I think the number we have here is you're approaching a million dollars raised since 2012. I hope we're close with that statistic. Is there a story or a particular organization that benefited from these donations that really stands out to you? Yeah, and, and that is accurate. And it, it's a shame. We would have surpassed the million dollar mark, but we had this thing called COVID that uh, <laughs> that happened in 2020. Yeah. We're just a couple thousand short of it, and we'll surpass that number this year. Along the way, there are plenty of good stories, right? The idea for our giving model, which we've deemed room funding, was really to create a platform where we can use this engine of room nights being you know booked and consumed for these events to go and feed the social desires that we have. What we end up doing was making it agnostic. So the idea here was it doesn't necessarily have to be about the charity that Neil wants to benefit. It can be about other charities and whatever the organizing body wants to focus on. We just put a framework behind it that we want to benefit children. We want to create happier and healthier lives through this. So whether that's new mentorship for kids, whether that's after school programs, whether that's live strong at school and some educational stuff, whether that's giving kids fresh water and education, we just want to be the platform. So there have been plenty of great interactions, usually for me, when you can see the tangible benefit, because what we do isn't always tangible. 
right? We get all these room nights, we cut a check, and then our charitable partners go and do the work. But when we get to see it in real life, we've had this longstanding partner called Kids in a New Groove here in Austin, and they do music mentorship for foster children. And it provides a platform, it provides a mentor for them, it gives them the skills they need to know. And so when we go and see them perform, these kids up there, not having a clue in the world that everyone's got their eyeballs on them performing in front of us, it's just, it's amazing. That's great. Certainly very admirable. And this is something you've been doing since the beginning of Hotels for Hope, right? Yeah. So when we transitioned from Austin Hospitality to Hotels for Hope, this was built into the course from day one, the, what the mission was going to be. Good for you. I guess we'll touch upon the 800-pound gorilla, COVID, and travel and, and events have been impacted in a way that, that we've never seen before. How has your business held up with the industries having been so significantly challenged over the past year and change? Band-Aids, tape. In reality, a lot of the initiatives that the government has pursued, like the PPP loans, have been instrumental for us. And so we were able to get our first draw and we got that forgiven. And, and now we've already got our money for the second draw. That's been absolutely instrumental for business, uh, especially ours, right? And we're right in the crosshair. You have travel that people aren't doing and you have events that people aren't hosting. So we had that. The other thing is we were acquired in 2019 and our, our parent company, Quinn Events, is just amazing. And being under their tutelage, having their balance sheet and having their leadership along with our team's leadership to just be able to steer through this has been imperative. And the crazy part about it is while we're lacking on revenue, right? I mean, it, revenue is next to nothing during this period. We're getting all these forward facing opportunities. So we're signing new deals. We're having new partners come to us. We know the demand for our services is there. And that's what the hard part about this, right? It's no one's fault for this right now. And so we're just trying to keep our heads down, run as lean as we can, and we'll be well positioned to come out of it. I think the demand has to be there. I don't know. Everyone you speak with is looking forward to the proverbial, you know, when COVID's over, I, people are just going to want to take a vacation. They're going to want to go to things. They're going to want to go to those events. And when it's all safe to do it, it's just, I think demand is going to be through the roof. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, definitely on the leisure side. All of us are like chomping at the bit, lining up the next seven vacations. There'll be questions about will corporate travel, will conferences return to their same levels, et cetera. But I would tend to agree with you. I think that people are going to, be ready to move. And I also it, you know, believe that governments will help reward this. I'd assume that we'll see some layer of maybe government tax credits for travel to try to spur the industry to you know, get ramped up again. So yeah, I'm ready to get out of here. We, we definitely all are, I think. Sign us up for the next concert. You mentioned Quint Events and the sale back in 2019. Curious from an entrepreneur's mindset, why did you feel like it was the right time to make that move? And then how hard was it to let go of your baby? Yeah, it's my baby, right? This was my baby before I met my wife, before I had my two daughters. This was my baby. It was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. And, and that likely was because of my trust for them, right? I've known Quinn Events since 2012. And in fact, they took a minority stake in our business uh, a couple of years earlier. So I knew, I knew them. I liked the team. I loved the direction that they were going in. It felt like a logical thing. So it made it a whole lot easier, but there's still the emotions that you have to go through in thinking about it. For me, a lot of it came down to... Uh, 
I was living likely an unsustainable lifestyle. In 2018, I'm flown, it was 127 flight segments, just right, always on the road. And we're talking, this is with two young kids as well. So my body was all thrown off. It wasn't fair to my wife and kids. And so I needed a way to be able to remove some of that stress, build a team around me so that probably the business could even operate better because I would have time to (laughs) take a deep breath and actually focus on it, not just running and gunning. And then how involved are you actually today in the business? Yeah, still really involved. Like I said, I I trust these guys. I I really appreciate the guys at Quinn Events. I'm still CEO over here at Hotels for Hope, plan to be. And I think as long as I can continue to be a good steward of them and their time and, you know, them and my time, then we'll keep this thing moving forward. So Neil, one thing we know is that entrepreneurs never sit still. What's next for you? Sitting still. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that comment about stress and and needing to relinquish some of it? I'll tell you, there are some people who are serial entrepreneurs and they're ready to go with their next, you know, three ideas and they're going to go. That isn't necessarily me. And and maybe it would have been an earlier state, not necessarily where I'm at right now. I'm really enjoying some other stuff, right? Like outside the industry, real estate. I I like doing that. I started being an entrepreneur in residence here at uh, University of Texas. So I love doing some mentoring. I'd love to start teaching, especially at the collegiate level. So you're not going to get from me the next harebrained idea from me. It's more going to be about living a a, a sustainable lifestyle. That's all right. I like it. You're moving in a different way, right? I'm trying to move on the golf course as much as I can. There you go. Number one focus. So we're now going to transition over to the Lions then, which as you can imagine is a segment dedicated to your time at Dear Old State. Love it. So you've told us all about your impressive career and how you built up Hotels for Hope, which again, Jared and I, we love it. It's just good on you. It's a great idea um, and a great company that you've built there. How do you think Penn State has prepared you for this career that you've had and all of these professional endeavors? It's hard to understate this, but Penn State literally gave me this platform. And Penn State, I don't know if it's a a direct attribution, but it's everything indirect that you get when you're in State College. And I know you guys know this as well. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing that I got from Penn State was my group of friends. These guys are going to be lifelong friends. We're the best men in my wedding. Our our families all play together. We jump on monthly phone calls and almost serve as each other's boards for all of our different companies and investments and everything. So that's what I got from Penn State that is now leading me into life. Fantastic. And as you know, since you listen to the podcast, this is always the toughest question. Favorite memory at Penn State? They were blurry, but football Saturdays. (laughs) It's all football Saturdays. You were there during some rough times, though, like us. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. We did see Larry Johnson go for 2000. That's right. That was our highlight. During that our time, our highlight. So. <laughs> Neil, if you could go back and visit with yourself as a freshman entering Penn State, what advice would you share with him? I've thought about this, and I, I think about this because now as a father, like I, I think about what I need to be telling my children too. I think a lot of it would have to do with just basic life lessons 
that I wasn't even thinking about. At age 18, your money doesn't mean anything to you. Personal finance doesn't mean anything to you, et cetera. I think I wish I would have focused more on that early and often to understand the power of compounding interest, to understand good and bad of debt, to understand what investing you know can mean for you in terms of defining your future. So I think that if I would have looked back, I learned a lot of that later on, and I really wish I would have learned that entering college. And then along the advice lines, obviously you're in Austin these days, but if someone comes across to you and says, hey, I'm considering you know, where I should go to college, why do you tell them Penn State? Why should they go all the way up north where it's uh, very snowy and cold? It's the most idealistic college environment out there. Right. I think we can all agree with this. You don't necessarily have all these other distractions, right? You're in the middle of central PA. The distractions are the ones that you want, are the things you get from college, good sports, good education, and everything that goes around it. Yeah, it, it the three of us can be billboards for this university <laughs> without a doubt. <laughs> By the way, I feel the same as you. If I had gone to a school somewhere near a beach or a pool, it just the juggling that with having to study and do writing papers and things like that. Oh, you know. Think about some of that. You don't have those distractions, right? You don't have some of the big city distractions. You don't have drinking and driving type issues when you're young and just first again. Penn State, and then you just have this rich history and it's, it's idealistic, like I said. Absolutely. So how do you feel most connected to the university these days? Doing podcasts like this are, are great. Obviously watching as, as much football as I can. I try to do as much mentoring as I can as well, still within the hotel restaurant management program. And so I try to stay as connected. I would love to be more connected. Right. I would love to. It's not always the easiest to get from Austin to State College. So I, I use those as my channels to, to keep Penn State close to me. And also having an aunt and uncle who live in State College send me uh, peachy paternal ice cream helps. Great. Hey, this has been a uh, great 30 minutes or so speaking with you. Really appreciate you coming on. And I feel like I say this every podcast. Your G's amazing i love the idea but then how you also said hey it's not just about making as much money as possible but really how do i give back and make this society better so definitely commend you for the idea bringing that idea to life and everything that you continue to do for children and making it a better place for them to live so thank you i appreciate it and i appreciate getting on with you too today so thank you and we always end with we are penn state <laughs> Lion Legacy is a Baruder production. If you enjoyed this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform.